Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. I oh, guess. no cold. Okay. No, 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 I just went. I don't know. Yeah, do it. It, no. was, it was just a thing where we gather around the table, we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. And this week's film is Red Riding Hood. Uh, good times will be had by all as we uh, discuss uh, this reimagining of the classic Grimm's fairy tale. Yeah. Um, good times. Good times. Um, so, introductions. Well, well, we'll do the standard ones. Um, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. Still Dalton. And we have a guest today. Who are you, ma'am? Hello. I am Kirsten Thurkelson. And uh, Kirsten is here because uh, she is on the Twilight podcast, which is also on our network, and they talk about all things Twilight. And there is a Twilight connection to Red Riding Hood. Can you tell us about that, Kirsten? Uh, yeah, it is the uh, it's Catherine Hardwick's follow up to Twilight, directorially speaking, and also uh, I think it's like literally the next thing after Twilight, the first Twilight movie that Billy Burke did as well. That sounds about right. Yeah, time checks, checks out. Yeah, who plays Charlie, aka my favorite character in the entire franchise. Very cool. And if you want more thoughts on Kirsten's favorite characters in the franchise, along with Aaron Demos, uh, you can check out Twilight, which is a very good show. It is very, very good. You don't even have to subscribe to it. It shows up in your Good Trash feed. Right. It's just right there. There's you just one... have to not skip it. <laughs> yeah, don't fucking skip it. Skip ours. We Look, there's a lot of ours. Well, there's one that I'm on that maybe you should skip. But the, other than that, the rest of them are very, very good. Uh, so there you go, dear <laughs> listener. Um, so yeah, we're glad to have Kirsten here talking about this film. In case you're tuning into the Good Trash Honor Cast for the very first time, uh, we do want to warn you, this is an analysis show, not a review show. And uh, there will be spoilers. Um, and among them will be... Grandmother, what big eyes you have. But we're going to avoid uh, the big spoiler stuff at the first part of the show. and the Which way- is going to be hard, because there are a lot of delightful things to talk about in this film. Correct. Uh, so, we'll have a synopsis from Arthur. We'll have uh, quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down review reactions from the four of us. Then we'll move into uh, a little bit of an exercise we call Expanding the Syllabus, where we imagine teaching this in a class. Uh, we might even bring back the game and play a little um, casting game here in a little bit. And then we'll get down to business, and that business will be analysis, and you will have a uh, indicator there. And once we get down to business, all spoiler bets are off. They get more and more uh, significant in the spoiler ridge as we go on. So. Yeah, much like the uh, the mystery of who in your town the werewolf is, uh, the, the the clues will start mounting until we can't not talk about it any longer. Yeah. So yeah, it'll it'll kind of go down about like that. So there you go, dear listener. Now you know everything we know uh, regarding spoilers. Um, Arthur, can you delight us with a synopsis, please? I can. Set in the small village of Daggerhorn, young Valerie is in love with the town bad boy Peter. But the town lives in fear of a WMD, werewolf of mass destruction. <laughs> to help, the town calls on renowned hunter Father Solomon. But this werewolf is bigger, stronger, and faster than any other Solomon has faced. And it has a particularly keen interest in Valerie. Is agile, mobile, and hostile, that there werewolf. Um, so there you go, dear listener. The big bad wolf is a werewolf. And uh, so uh, I guess Team Jacob, right? Uh, or what was it? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It's like, well, make sure I get my words right. It's been a long time since I've watched The Twilights. Um, this movie has a lot of Twilight crossover in terms of like... I don't know, like werewolf themes and stuff like that. but For sure, for sure. So let's go ahead and run down those uh, thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. And I'm actually going to go to our guest first. Kirsten, if you would, do you like this movie and why? It's, uh, there's a lot about this movie that I like. Um, I think it's got a fantastic soundtrack that's like mm-hmm. very, uh, I don't know. It's, I, I don't even know how to, how to describe it. It's like, dance pagan i guess it's just like you kind of i think you nailed it yeah yeah you want to like light a a bonfire and go like dance in a field like i mean (laughs) with with a with a drum and five of your friends and and call down the old ones yes do yeah do peyote or something yeah old school christmas um, yeah (laughs) exactly um i think that there i think it's a really uh visually interesting film um not that it like reinvents the wheel or anything like that but i just i don't know i'm a big fan of the aesthetic of this movie um that being said it's uh it's the movie as a whole is not i don't think it's the best <laughs> it's a little it's a little uh, unnecessarily like twisty and turny but um i don't know it's fun it was a good way to uh, 
it was a good way to kill an afternoon. So, and that I've actually seen this movie twice. Uh, I went to go see it with my mom when it came out in theaters. That makes a lot of exactly, sense. It's exactly the kind of movie that I would go see with my mom in theaters and that it's gotta be like, it, it's gotta be kind of uh, like a fantasy film. Uh, and if you watch the trailer for it, you tend to say, that looks like it's gonna be awful. So that is, we, we always go to, we, we go and see those kinds of movies all the time. Um, yeah, having, having known you for, for quite a number of years at this point, uh, and knowing uh, you well enough to know your mom's taste in film too, uh, yeah, no, the, yes. the, the, the Venn diagram, this is squarely in the middle for, for you, yes. you, yours and hers interests, I feel like. That being said, uh, even though I have seen this movie before, I remembered almost none of it. Uh, ah, the hallmark of a great the film. Werewolf was. I didn't remember like anything that happens in the film. Uh, so I, I, that might kind of, I don't know, draw your own conclusions. Um, I don't know. I guess I come down squarely in uh, the, the camp of this movie is fine. It's fine. There's a lot good about it, but it's not, I'm not going to try to light a fire under you to go see it. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, thank you very much for that, Miss Kirsten Thurkelson. What do you say, Arthur? Do you like Red Riding Hood? At around the 1815 mark, I uh, leaned over to Keisha and pointed at the screen and whispered, that's the Red Riding Hood. Um, yes! <laughs> yes! Uh, Good job. <laughs> I, I'm kind of mixed on this movie. Like, like Kirsten said, it's very fine. Um, I love the production design. I think it's got a great, fun set look. I, I like the village that they've created. I like these uh, odd trees with thorns on them. I like that they've put these spikes on the buildings as a protective device. I like that kind of stuff. I think that is a small bit of world building that really works here. Uh, and so I appreciate that. I appreciate the economic use of these sets. Um, it looks small scale, but I think at the same time, that really fits what's going on here. So I appreciate that. Um, uh, the non-Twilight bits, uh, I think, have a lot of potential. I think the very base... Uh, skeleton of this film has a lot of really interesting potential of this village being hunted by a werewolf. I thought obviously a lot of the village uh, mm. certainly, um, but I think on its own, I think it had a really interesting dynamic. Um, I was pretty interested in what was going on after the arrival of Solomon up until about that reveal in the third act of who was behind it all. Um, I, I think the, they laid the bones of a very interesting movie, but it feels so forced into this twilight knockoff uh you know going so far as to cast a actor who had auditioned for edward into that role to give those uh very very dreamy uh begrudging looks uh, at people um <laughs> this movie is incredibly thirsty uh, much Ooh. thirstier than swim fan or Ooh. uh uh splice combined oh yeah uh, correct very can i can I ask real quick which which of the uh, which of the actors that I couldn't distinguish between was the one who auditioned for Edward? <laughs> uh, the main one, Peter. Okay, the guy that plays oh, okay, Peter. Okay. That makes more sense. The one that looks a lot like boy. Edward. A lot like Rob Pattinson yeah. around the same time. Yeah, yeah. he does. Um, and so that was kind of I, I guess uh, after he had auditioned, uh, Hardwick had remembered him and offered mm. this as a kind of makeup thing mm. uh, for him. Uh, I, I you know Hardwick has got such an interesting career. Um, and I think she's a very skilled film. I love 13. I think it's a fascinating movie. Uh, Lords of Dogtown, these kind of really interesting indie dramas that she does. Uh, but I feel like uh, every time she gets hired to do a studio thing, it's for a very specific purpose. And I just feel bad because you can tell the studio's MO is all over it. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I wish they do the Patty Jenkins thing and just give her a truckload of cash to do something really cool and interesting without interfering in it. And I think that's the interesting thing about this, Arthur. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of touched on that, like, uh, studio and career arc aspect because yeah this does kind of have that feeling of oh this one's f for Catherine Hardwick this is the, she's got her twilight money you know she's got her check now she kind of this feels like weirder but you're right it does kind of feel a little bit hamstring but what we can only assume to be like well we've got to make sure this plays to the twilight crowd and we don't really care who you want to play to yeah and, and i think it toys with some interesting themes you know she's not like a traditional innocent naive girl yeah like, i think they let her be a little more interesting in that regard uh but the fact that they do try to ham fist this twilight narrative into it uh doesn't always work for me um so yeah at the end of the day uh i, I think there has a lot of potential i wasn't mad i watched it like kirsten said it's an easy afternoon watch or evening early evening um but yeah it's fine 
All right. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say, Dalton? Do you like Red Riding Hood? Yeah, Red Riding Hood kind of weirdly has uh, become part of what we can only call uh, the dong days of summer. This very horny run of films we've been watching. Uh, completely by accident, but, but yeah. I guess Michael was horny. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Swim yeah. fans, they Splice, wanted to Michael. That angel. Yeah, exactly. Sex and thirst are such huge parts of the, the last four movies we've watched. Uh, and it's, I don't know, I like that about this movie. It's campy, it's, it's thirsty, as you said. It has a lot going for it. It's got a lot of charm. Uh, but as as you've both already mentioned, yeah, it's it's not as great as the sum of its parts would lead you to believe, and that is kind of unfortunate. Uh, it, it yeah, it goes in one ear and out the other. Um, you're probably not going to remember anything about the central mystery because it's just got too much going on. Um, there's too much fat in the places that should be leaner, and not enough fat in the places that should be fattier. Um, and it does yeah, kind of create this uneven film that somehow still manages to be delightful and wonderful. And yeah, Gary Oldman shows up with his damn silver talons uh, just yelling. If you are a fan of the Gary Oldman school of yelling monologues, this is a movie for you. If you love Amanda Seyfried's gigantic dewy eyes, this is a film for you. Um, she's great, obviously. Uh, and I, I, I'm right there with you, Arthur. You're, Yeah, I had caught on to the fact that she's not a good girl by the way she breathily says it about 80 times. It's great. I, Amanda Seyfried knows exactly what kind of film Catherine Hardwick is trying to make and is totally on board with it. Yeah, I think I think most of the performances in this movie uh, are solid. Um, some are better than others, though. I, again, yeah, I think our our boys are unfortunately have the same thing that a lot of young male actors have and is that they're boys. I don't believe a fucking word that any of them are saying. They've been too cute for too long and none of them have personalities. Um, and that's unfortunate. But Virginia Madsen's great. Uh, as uh, Gary Oldman's great. Billy Burke. Oh, again, great cast. Everybody's doing good performances. And I'm, I'm with you both on the look of this movie. Um, it's aesthetic and this kind of uh, playing with Europe uh, as it probably was in the, the, you know, after the fall of the Roman Empire. It's just pockets of people who are scared and confused. And sometimes the church shows up and uh, makes you feel better. But mostly you're just in the giant dark of the forests of Europe by yourself. Uh, a weird time in history um, full of, you know, superstition and violence. And I, I think this film takes that idea uh, and melds it with this early ten, 2010s, um, you know, YA aesthetic really well. Again, you know, we, we kind of, uh, I think, as a film going public and a film discussing uh, culture, kind of poo-poo the YA movement. But there's like a, a definite visual flair to a lot of those films even some of the the, the lesser ones um that is weirdly consistent and yet you know takes from a lot of places but does kind of feel of its own you know in terms of the the you know uh, woods photography a lot of drone shots and helicopter shots uh, a lot of uh, n uh daringness to do dumb shit with the camera that you know your mileage may vary on how much some of it works for you there's a lot of uh, uh ramey wishes in this i think they're cool uh, but again, like, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't poo-poo genres out of hand, anybody, uh, because even, uh, you know, film noir wasn't a thing until it was a thing. You start to notice these through lines and, uh, and similar works. And I think it makes for fun discussion. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, I've been sitting here on my hands as we've been discussing so far, uh, because I think I love this movie. I love I, that you love this movie. I I, I, I think, I, okay, here was my plan. I, I was sat down to watch it, and I'm like, I got some other things to do, and I got some other things to listen to, and, and just stuff going on. So I'm going to give this movie, like, it's an hour and 40 minutes. I'm going to give it, like, a half hour to an hour, and I'm going to break it up, and... I sat through the whole thing. I'm like, I want to, I want to watch this thing. I want to, I want to, I want to see how this thing works itself out. And I found it satisfying. I mean, yes, it's twisty and yes, it's kind of unnecessary, but I was like, that's kind of interesting that you're playing with the narrative in the way that you're playing with it. Um, I think the performances are solid. Our boys, as you say, are kind of bad. There's a couple really tinny, um, dialogue moments there, but I, uh, you know, whatever. I, uh, what do you expect? I mean, and sure. That being said, if, if this is, is a benchmark for the paranormal romance in cinema, man, I'm there. I, I, I am there for this. I mean, this is, this just works for me. And, uh, so I, I like how they, they know the audience is familiar with the little red riding hood story, how they are faithful at times and how they play with it and how they sort of expand and change, do some different things. As we've already said, the aesthetic is great. The soundtrack rocks. Oh my gosh. All day. Um, I love that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, 
it was a good time for me. And so I, I, this is not the kind of movie I watch a lot of. And uh, it was it was a it was an excellent tasty treat for me. And so I I could eat this movie up uh, is what I'm trying to say. You know what I think it is. It's that uh, the, uh, the 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 hot scummy rich guy is uh, played by Jeremy Irons' son. I think you could smell yes. the Jeremy Irons on I, this film, Dustin, and uh, those Jeremy Iron pheromones just yeah, like just, shot right into your. Yeah, and I I can't blame you. I get it. He is my wolf father. I mean, God, he's such a. We don't need to get into it. So uh, complicated, problematic man who is a goddamn smoke show. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. So there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts are from Matt to Yay, and uh, a little bit in between. And there you go. I'm excited how much you like this. I, I thought it was great. I just had a good time. Well, I think it's a well-made movie. Anyway, we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, as we move on. Let's do move on, though, into uh, this little thought exercise part of the show in which we construct a syllabus in which we are teaching some kind of class uh, regarding this film. So the film is a module, part of a class. What class is it? What's the module? And what else would you be having your students watch and or read in order to teach said class? I go to you first, Dalton. What do you say? Well, I feel like this film kind of sits in a weird movement that I, I think starts probably in the late 80s, but I, I want to go ahead and talk about it once it's in full swing. So we're not going to go any further back than 1991-ish, 2-ish, uh, but I think there's this this interesting resurgence of like uh, gothic throwback movies, uh, and a lot of this is tied in with uh, you know attempts by Universal uh, to capitalize on their back catalog of monster movies. Um, and obviously, you know, the uh, attempted and rebooted and reconfigured Dark Universe, I think, is part of this as well. But there's a lot of movies in this, like, 25-ish, 30-ish year span um, that I think are of, of a piece with each other in, in ways that would are surprising. Because some of them, are, again, are direct throwbacks uh, to Universal Monster movies. Uh, some of them are, you know aping a, a, a definite like literary gothic style, which we've talked about recently uh, in past weeks. Um, and again, I think all of these films are of a piece with each other. I'm just going to ramble them off real quick because I think there's a lot of movies. I don't think this is going to be class. We're doing a lot of in-class viewing, probably going to be a lot of readings about these uh, historical movements. But we're going to start with Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Francis Ford Coppola movie. Uh, we'll run through Interview with the Vampire, The Craft, Sleepy Hollow, uh, Underworld, and Constantine. The the mid to early aughts, of course, the uh, the dirtiest, grungiest, vapiest years of cinema. Uh, but again, I think th those two kind of comic booky action films also fit within this larger movement. Uh, we'll then move on. We'll look at uh, Let the Right One In and Let Me In Both, uh, Twilight, of course, Red Riding Hood, uh, The Witch as well, I think, is part of this. And we'll probably move forward and end with somewhere around uh, the, the recent Invisible Man from this year uh, with starring uh, Elizabeth Moss. Uh, because it is, you know, this new attempt at doing um, uh, Universal monster movies by Universal um, after they had to uh, not make any more of those mummy movies, huh? Uh, but again, I, I, it's a weird brick of films. It's a weird, culturally especially, it's a weird brick of decades that we talk about a lot on this show um, because of how fruitful they are for conversation, how much uh, filmmaking uh, culture and aesthetics change over those that 20-year span. Um, but again, it's it's all rooted in this attempt to uh, make pop commercial art using uh, traditional scary stories, using traditional scary visual language, you know, using visual language that goes back to the 1920s and 1930s. Um, and then again, as that morphs and kind of changes and becomes less rooted in a Hollywood, uh, big traditional Hollywood aesthetic and becomes more rooted in indie aesthetics. Uh, and, you know, weirder, grungier, uh, more genre-y, pulpier aesthetics. I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of talk about how we look at horror, how we use horror when we're not trying to make scary movies necessarily. Um, again, it's it's a class that I think is kind of up your alley, Dustin. Uh, probably mm -hmm. one that uh, I'd I require some help from you on, uh, potentially, as much as I hate asking you especially for help. Um, but yeah, that, that's the class. It's it's uh, from Dracula and Sleepy Hollow to Twilight and the Invisible Man, uh, charting gothic monsters. No eye Frankenstein? Uh, you know, <laughs> no. look, we might, we no. might. I, I think Constantine <laughs> and Underworld kind of cover that that, that film and its ilk. That's fair. That's fair. I like that very much. That's a very, very good syllabus, Dalton. Okay, Kirsten, uh, what do you have, uh, if anything, uh, regarding a uh, syllabus? 
Okay, so I uh, I got a little bit carried away actually on this nice. one. Uh, in the past, uh, in the past on this show, I've kind of um, just thrown things together, but for some reason I got really excited about this one, and uh, so I designed an entire real class. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, my class would be a uh, a study of monsters in pop culture as an allegory uh, for very real human fear and how humans experience fear. Um, so we're going to start with um, the monster as the unknown, which is the outermost sort of, uh, the outermost sort of level of fear. Um, it's frightening because it has to do with what we expect is, or what we suspect is out there. Um, and that is, uh, we're going to start off with uh, Eggers the Witch. Uh, Dalton, you and I are going to have some overlap a little bit. I but, figured, um, yeah. There's there's yeah. definitely a certain kind of film that, we, like... We, we all are going to overlap a little bit. I think so. We're, we're yeah. looking at similar materials in different ways, which I think is very interesting. <laughs> um, so we're going to start with uh, The Witch, um, which, as uh, you know, is sort of uh, the fear of, you know, the forest and the woods and, you know... The idea of just even trying to survive in such like a harsh environment and you know we suspect that there are monsters in the forest because truly we don't know what's in the forest um also going to visit uh sandberg's lights out from 2016 uh which i will champion that movie for eternity um which deals with the very human fear of the dark why do we fear the dark because we don't know what's there um, next, we're going to move into Monsters as the Other, um, which is sort of uh, a more inner fear in that it deals with uh, it deals with things that we can see and we know are there, but we still fear them because they are other to us. Um, also, going to deal with uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, because a lot of the design around vampires, you know, we're afraid, they, they speak to a fear uh, that's more xenophobic um, and uh, well, racist and mm -hmm. also homophobic. Um, like the whole depiction of vampires as being, you know, kind of dandies and uh, often being foreigners, uh, Eastern European. Um, and then from that, we're going to move into uh, The Exorcist, um, which is sort of this very real embodiment of the fear of, oh, well, I have this child and now they're no longer my child anymore. They're, they're going through like the terrible teens, right? Of suddenly this thing that I created is a monster that I don't recognize. Can't confirm. Um, yeah, and that is where uh, this film, I think, fits in really nicely. Um, although I think maybe i don't know and maybe this is just because i didn't like the film as much as maybe dustin did but uh i think that it might actually be better served in this class to be like carpenters the thing or uh to take it back even further uh invasion of the body snatchers um which is you know there's there's something insidious in our midst um and it could be anyone right like so I'm not sure who the danger is. Therefore, everyone is the danger. I'm afraid of everyone around me. Um, and then uh, we're going to finish out that section with uh, Jordan Peele's Us from 2019. Nice. Um, which I think really nicely sums up all of those, uh, all those different um all those different fears uh and then finally um we're gonna do the monster as self uh which is of course the closest um and we're going to sorry this is mild spoilers for a film that's been out for 11 years uh <laughs> we're gonna watch my bloody valentine 3d um uh, my where... bloody valentine 3d the film that got me <laughs> demoted from my job at the movie theater oh no what happened okay we'll, that... <laughs> we'll, we'll get we'll get a sidebar here in a second Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah, we're going to do My Bloody Valentine 3D, which, spoiler alert, you don't know who the killer is throughout the whole film. Turns out it's your protagonist the entire time. Uh, he's been having psychotic breaks, didn't know it was him doing all of the murders. Um, and then finally, uh, going to close out the entire class with uh, Heron's American Psycho, mm -hmm. um, which again is very much the monster is the self, but he's very much aware of his actions, um, but just sort of doesn't really know how to uh, process the fact that he is the monster. Um, so that's my class. 
Hope you want to take it. Excellent. That sounds like a great class. But I think using American Psycho is so great because, and again, more spoilers. Uh, he knows he's a monster, but he's not even sure like how much of a monster he is. Mm-hmm. Like he oh, just yeah, he has no yeah he knows he, he would he may have do had murder. A complete break of reality. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, he knows he would do murders. He's just not a hundred percent sure how many he might have done. Uh, it's it's good stuff. The story about my bloody Valentine. Yeah, we got to know the story. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I worked at a film theater. That's uh, now under corporate ownership. It's not important where it was, uh, but uh, they decided that we weren't allowed to to go into to use our employee passes on 3d movies anymore i don't know why i forgot how to say all those words for a second um and i don't like rules if you know anything about me you know i hate fucking being told what to do uh especially by people who think that they are my betters uh so i decided well i'm just gonna go ahead and do what i've always done when people told me there were movies i'm not allowed to see i'll get a ticket to one movie and go into a different one so that's what I did, and I got busted uh-huh. um, for that very silly film. But uh, hey, you know what? Pretty pretty fun movie. I've heard the original is also quite good. Um, yeah, it was a fun 3D horror movie. All right. You got, you got busted theater hopping at your own job. You're damn right. I shit where I eat. I'm an animal. <laughs> Clearly. Wow. Um, that's, that's, that's impressive, really. Hey, you know what? As as all of uh, the well, not all of as many of the films we've been discussing tell us, uh, teenagers are animals and they can't be trusted because you don't know what they're going to do. That's this is all very true. They rule the world. It turns out. Can confirm. Uh, <laughs> moving right on, um, my syllabus is going to have considerable overlap, but I would think I would be doing a class that is about horror specifically as well. And uh, I would use Red Riding Hood in a module about specifically that fear of the wilderness because I do think that's where the werewolf lives and the sort of the outside and grandmother living in the outside part of the world. And, of course, Amanda Seyfried's Valerie character ends up uh, living sort of outside the village as well. And those sort of uh, American Gothic fear of the uncivilized, un, uh, un- yet untamed parts of the wild of wilderness. Yeah, big fat scare quotes there. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Thank you for for, for articulating. Well, I know your voice well enough to know when you're using scare quotes. Yes. unfortunately. Yeah, we we do hang out a lot. Uh, so that that's kind of where I'd want to begin. Uh, with this, and I think this film works really well with that. I think also there's a uh, a single issue of the Sandman called The Hunt. It's collected in uh, Fables and Reflections, and it also tells kind of a werewolf story when uh, everyone lived in the dark parts of the forest, and it was just a world that was just uh, unknown. It's just mysterious because people didn't know what, what all was out there. Also, Baba Yaga makes a little cameo appearance in that particular story, which is always fun. I'll let me some Baba Yaga uh, whenever I get a chance. And uh, so it, it's it's just a neat little story dealing with similar kinds of ideas. And then um, the Witch or the Witch or the Eggers um, movie with um, you know a consonant of some sort at the front. Uh, I, I think that is one of those stories in which that family, because of their isolation, that the isolation aspect of the wilderness becomes really really kind of uh, vital there, and that's becomes something of a source of the paranoia because of the desperate need for survival. Uh, that goes on alongside that. Lastly, I think I'm going to use M. Night Shyamalan's The Village because, uh, again, spoilers, sort of, I won't won't say the things, but it is definitely a fear of the wilderness outside of the titular village, but it is also very much about a fear of civilization itself. Mm. And so in that contemporary moment of retelling that particular story, you have both of those anxieties at play with one another and that the city itself becomes a source of fear, which, again, ties back into sort of American uh, cultural... um, Roots with Gothicism and, and sort of the beginning of the American project, how it was about an escape from a certain kind of place, but they escaped into a wilderness and they were nervous and afraid of the English and or Dutch settings from which uh, these early Puritans were escaping to come to America. But then they find themselves in, you know, Massachusetts or wherever and very, very afraid of everything around them as well and how those double fears create monsters. Well, this feels like a very good time. That's the end of the syllabus, right? That is the end of my syllabus, yeah. I I'm thought good. you said that was your last one. That was my last one. I was done. I thought you said, yeah, it feels like it's about that time, huh? It is time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. Now, we have a game we wanted to play. Yes. But let's go ahead and keep teasing this out, because I think we're in a fun spot right now. Okay. Um, and maybe it's part of why I, I, I did end up finding myself really kind of gravitating towards this movie more than I expected to. 
uh, and why I'm having so much fun making Apocalypse Radio with all of you. Um, <laughs> this movie does feel, again, we're living in a time when you don't know who you can be afraid of, right? You don't know who's uh, behaving properly, who's, uh, who's a, a contaminant to be around. Uh, it's a time when it's scary to go outside uh, in any capacity. Uh, and, and I think this very, uh, you know, Euro-American-centric uh, thinking of the world uh, that you just kind of touched on, Dustin, is definitely all over this movie. And I think it does stem from both, like, European folklore and, like, a fear of the wilderness in that, you know, that very specific moment in history that was kind of, like, post-Druidic, uh, post-nomadic, uh, you know, early uh, civilization bumping up against each other, you know, these kind of very complicated civilizations that get busted up by the Roman Empire, uh, and then it's back to square one for a huge continent. Um, and it, it, yeah, instills this fear of both each other and of the self and of everything. It really is just a culture of fear that's very interesting and I think informs a lot uh, of, of American myth-making, especially when it's centered in European folk tales. For sure, for sure. And I, and I think a lot of that again, comes from this idea of uh, an individualistic or communalistic sort of sense of protecting... So if it's communalistic, it's tribal. It's about me and my tribe and protecting my tribe. Or individualistic, is about me and mine, and just whatever, I want to take care of myself. That sort of rugged individualism that sort of begins to uh, give uh, voice to itself later on when the Enlightenment takes on in the 18th century. And so... It, it sort of shows a moment, though, that those anxieties of living in that kind of way, it create again, it creates monsters, and by such, it creates paranoia because we want to make sure that we keep our, you know, either our individual freedoms and rights and you know, authentic life itself, uh, you know, pure, or keep our community pure. And then we create the enemy, and we try to find that enemy wherever we can. And I, I like this the way in which you tied, you know, sort of the the COVID and pandemic uh, stuff that's going on uh, with some of this, uh, you know, you don't know who's a carrier uh, thing with this. But the, when I was watching the film itself, I really thought more about nine eleven and uh, Patriot Act and uh, some of that sort of, uh, you know, rescinding of. Privacy. Uh, we're going to go in your home. Yeah, privacy in exchange for security well, type stuff. You have nothing find to be afraid of. Yeah, yeah. It, except you do have things to be afraid of because the church has a long list of things that doesn't like it when you do. Mm-hmm. Especially in this period, uh, you know, where you know playing with cards gets you burned alive. Yeah. Well, does that kid die? I'm. Was is, was he dead? I'm pretty I sure. I think so. I, it really seems to imply that she gave up her friend for nothing because when she, I mean. She go- he looks pretty dead. He doesn't He's like come back. Passed out, face down. No, you don't see him again alive. And God, he was in basically an oven for like a day. Yeah, that's not good. More? Just no, slowly getting thrive. Yeah, that's how you make barbecue. Not a oh. fun place to be. Hmm. So yeah, but anyway, but that, that that whole idea, and of course, you know, the Salem witch trials themselves, obviously, a strong parallel here. Uh, of the same kind of idea that Salem was trying to keep itself, you know, isolated, hermetically sealed from the rest of the world, did not want the wilderness getting in, but also the worldliness of, you know, city kind of life, living in these people who'd be into witchcraft or whatever. And, and, and that creates this sense in which we have to ferret out whatever destructive forces that we can have and, you know, leads to some pretty draconian methods. And it continues on in the American imaginary from Salem to, you know, Arthur Miller's The Crucible, which is about witchcraft, but it's not. It's about the Red Scare. And then moving on in, again, the 20 aughts as we think about the war on terror. And, you know, you don't have anything to worry about if you don't have anything to hide and those kinds of things. Well, and this is why, Kirsten, I was so glad you brought up uh, us, because I think what that film does really well is is force the viewer to think about the ways in which your seemingly secure existence is built on somebody else. Uh, yes. That the, there is always a marginalized group that has something to fear uh, from intrusions into their privacy. Uh, and I think, again, Us does a very good job of that, but it, it, it is interesting in this kind of early Christian, pre um, you know, New World uh, European era, you know, because of this bumping up uh, of pagan folk religions um, and like the mechanized church, the full weight of the, uh, the the Roman Catholic Church that we you know all know today is just kind of coalescing at this point, right? Like it's been gaining political and military momentum for a very long time, but at this point in history, where they have again, we get a very nebulous Europe 
question mark kind of stamp on this film. But if you just go ahead and go from like the 1100s to the 1500s, it is a pretty dark time. <laughs> uh, the crucifix is a, not a symbol of uh, liberation, uh, as it often should be. It is a symbol of terror uh, for parts of Europe in this time, mm-hmm. because it is trying to stamp out indigenous religions uh, that uh, threaten its power. And it's, it's, it's weird to think about, you know, us uh, and, and Americanism and, and this kind of Euro- weird European period together, but I think there is a lot of overlap. It's very interesting. To what extent do we think about this movie as European? I mean, I, I recognize that its setting is thoroughly European, but its cast and its production and its themes seemed it seems to be okay. Yeah, this is quasi Europe. They're clearly you know Catholics that we're talking about here, but I, I, that feels to me like just sort of a, a bit of, of a beard for an American. Sure, story. and I think it's very Euro American in that way that like all of the ways the movies that we make in America deal with like grim folk tales and stuff, right? Like it is. Filtering it through the uh, the you know uh, new new time new place lens, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's really I think it's kind of intentionally supposed to be a little bit out of time in a way. Like it's it's where it's it's the time and place in which we picture folk tales taking place, exactly. right? Not necessarily any like one specific year or one specific you know country where it takes place, right? Yeah, it's it's that kind of like pan-european like i don't know where the before times the old country who cares once upon a time exactly right, right. yeah it, it is removed from cultural context and, and nuance just by the you know the by virtue of the way peoples and cultures move well there's that line in the hunt which is uh, sort of the story being told by this polish immigrant but says once upon a time is how it opens when the people lived in the forest and that's sort of you know that's that's yeah. the same kind of idea i think here and of course totally. you know you've got the woodcutters and those kind of things it gives all that kind of you know, Central European, because I, I think I do, it does feel a bit more Western European than it does Eastern European. Sure. Yeah, in its trappings. It kind of feels, yeah, like... Uh, Germany. Somewhere between Germany and Latvia, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or Estonia, you know, that kind of that central, I, I think, was a great way to put I it. do love me a good Latvian story. I, I mean, look, they're all... The, it's not all the same. They're mostly the same. <laughs> I, I hate to disparage who gives a shit. I don't care. I, I'm more interested in their 20th century, if I'm being honest. Latvian listeners, please send an angry uh, um, email message to Dalton Look, later. we're all proto-Germanic and proto-Celtic. Who cares? Uh, uh, let's uh, move on, I think, now that we've kind of talked about how, like, Hollywood, now we've kind of moved into this track of how does Hollywood consume and regurgitate, uh, you know, folktales and stuff. Let's talk about this idea of the game. Because okay. Arthur kind of pointed out in his in his analysis, or his review, uh, and, and talking off air, this film does kind of have that plug-and-play quality of, I don't know, take a something spooky and take some hot young people and take a, an older actor who lends it some legitimacy and you got a movie. Yeah, I kind of pitched maybe uh, bypassing the uh, the uh, syllabus this week and doing the retro of the game uh, and doing, you know, take a fairy tale and make it sexy uh, and pick your hot young couple, your old vet actor to give it some flavor. Uh, because, I mean, that's what this movie is really kind of doing in the wake of Twilight, I think. It's an uh, interesting film. The, the script uh, was on the 2009 Blacklist, uh, which is a really interesting beginning. I think, again, goes back to uh, the, the kind of core of the film. Uh, there's obviously some pretty uh, dramatic changes from that material. I believe the uh, uh, the oh, what is it uh, when you write the book after the movie uh, novelization? Yeah, the novelization of this uh, uh, veers pretty dramatically, I guess, from from the movie itself uh, because it was based on the shooting script. So I think there's a lot of mm. kind of there uh, you go studio intervention to kind of shape it into a much more uh, uh, four quadrant film. Uh, for, you know, targeting that kind of 18 to 25 young female demographic and their moms. Um, yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> but the, you, you bring a point, though, that the things about this that are very interesting are those kind of weird esoteric things like uh, Amanda Seyfried's, like, first thing we learn about her is her killing a rabbit. Yeah. Uh, Gary Oldman eating rare meat with his weird talons. Like, that's that's those are directorial choices yeah. that don't feel in line with some of the other stuff in this movie. And it kind of comes... Oh, this is 2011. The next year we get Snow White and the Huntsman. So Hollywood was kind of mm-hmm. on this cycle of a, of a kick of trying to capitalize, I think, on uh, the the romantic uh, fantasy elements of Twilight and do something really interesting. Uh, and, and I think there's, you know, a well of, of folk tales and fairy tales to mine uh, to do something like this with. And I think... Uh, it'd be interesting to see something more from that kind of uh, 
era. You got one, Dustin? I got I think I got one. Christian, got you one. got you got one offhand? Well let us I'll, talk, maybe. I'll you'll start. Play. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Arthur. Go ahead, Arthur. So yeah. my, here's my pitch. It's Goldilocks, but make it sexy. Yeah, okay. And, right. and because it's top of mind, uh, I'm gonna cast uh, Journey Smollett and nice. uh Jonathan Majors as my hot young couple. Ooh. Uh Building like off their uh, Lovecraft Country, they're great. Chemistry. Lovecraft Country together, man. Uh, and my uh, vet actor, who I want to throw in there mm-hmm. uh, for flavor, is Idris Elba. Oh, wow, nice! I like lot. it. It's a good you casting. Know, you know, it's an easy fifty million at the box office. I think. Yeah, you could, yeah. twenty million budget. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's easy. Okay, it's easy money. Yeah, okay, okay. All right, uh, the Mummy, but it's sexy. They tried this one. They fucked it up. You, you they them. did it in 99. Well, they did it in 99, and they did it again. Uh, they did it right. You're right. They did it very well in 99. They made it very sexy. So here we go. We're gonna. <laughs> The mummy, but it's sexy. Uh, we're going to bring back Sophia Batella again, because that makes a lot of sense. Kiki Lane, going to reteam her with Gina uh, Price-Bythewood. Uh, they had, did some great stuff together on The Old Guard. That's the movie. Who's the older actor? Uh, somebody to like, really sell the spoopiness. Um, now, Christopher Lloyd isn't, isn't a marquee name. <laughs> I want somebody kind of old and crusty, though. Uh, oh, God. We'll get, to, we'll get Helen Mirren. She's a spooky museum yeah, lady. Perfect. Nice. Yeah, boom. That's a movie. Very good, very good. Um, I want to I wanna do the Three Little Pigs, but sexy, because I guess we're going to do but sexy all the time now, right? Yeah. Yeah, it has to be, but uh, it has but to the, be sexy. But, yeah, but, you but have sexy. to sell the film sexy. Those pigs have to give smoldering looks. Okay, so the three, um, this is, uh, let's, let's run this thing back in time, maybe 10 years to make this thing work, but okay. um, it's going to be the three Chris's, Chris Pratt, Chris Pine, not Chris Pine, Chris Evans, and Chris Hemsworth okay. as okay. our three titular pigs. Uh, this is going to be definitely a Disney project. Zoe Solanda as a love interest between the three of them uh-huh. uh, that goes back and forth because you gotta have that and then lastly Benicio Del Toro as our big bad wolf because I've seen him do something like that and I think it would be great I dig it see you did it already it's easy making movies is easy uh, this is how the 80s happened you just got a bunch of knuckleheads in a room with a bunch of cocaine and they just started saying dumb stuff like this to each other uh, Kirsten uh, have, have the wheels been turning you know, I want to do Frankenstein, but sexy, but like actually do Frankenstein, but sexy, like, well, <laughs> yeah, um, ha, who to cast though, who to cast. Okay. I think that, um, I think that for our Dr. Frankenstein, um, I think we should give it a little bit of a fun twist and make it a lady. Of course. Good um, stuff. Victoria Frankenstein. Yeah. Yes. Victoria Frankenstein. And I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling Gillian Anderson. Yeah. Yes, Ooh, please. God. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. Sorry. I'll be there. <laughs> you okay? No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. We'll be back after a you short got, break. You got Gen X and Millennials, right? Just boom, you got them. I got, I got, done. I got kind of sweaty You've there for a second. You've already done half your work. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if you put Winona um, Ryder in this, Dustin's dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for, for, our, uh, for our Frankenstein's monster, um, I actually think I'm going to go with Robert Pattinson. Yes. Um, <laughs> See, this is how you made it sexy, right? It's an yeah, older, an older scientist. Exactly. It's it's like weird science, but spookier. Well, yeah. I mean, we're kind of in a way we're a little bit doing like a like a flipsy on uh, 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 Rocky Horror. Yeah, right? hell yeah. I mean, uh, but you know, I, I would imagine probably more gothic and infinitely less campy. Um, and then uh, what we have to throw in. A, a vet uh, actor. I gotta throw in a vet actor also. Um Well now hold on. Hold on. I don't she's got her vet actor already. Jillian? Yeah, she's got Jillian. You so need the bride. Where's you need, the love relationship? The love relationship is, the is that Robert Pattinson says, No, I'm not in love with you. Make me a mate. There you have it. There's your 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 second uh young up and comer. Okay. So who's our other young up and comer? Um, Wait, does he want to? Ma- oh man, this movie! Oh, like Kirsten Pitcher movie. I'm sorry, I know I'm getting so excited by Kirsten's movie. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> uh, let's make. Hmm, trying to think who would who would who would pair well in this. Let's go with Zendaya. You nailed yeah. it. I'm yeah. a you really did big it. Fan, I'm a really big fan of hers, yeah. and I think crushed that it. that would uh, that that would round out the cast quite nicely. You crushed it. You did great. <laughs> See, it's so easy to make movies. Uh, wh- is there any other uh, big features on the eye chart, Dustin? That uh, thematically, again, I think formally we've we've demonstrated how easily you can take any property and turn it into a movie. Uh, do we want to go any further on theory, thinking about what the monster in this film actually represents? 
I mean, I think that is interesting because there is another thread. So we've been really, you know, piecing out the sort of like social construction, you know, fear, paranoia, terrorism, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I think the other side of it is sort of uh, libidinal desire is, you know, we've been talking about just how thirsty this movie is all along. And the way in which, uh, okay, now we can do the spoiler, The, the werewolf who happens to also be dad is so weirdly desirous. I mean, that that that, that encounter with Red is, uh-huh. is incestuous. I think that that is what really throws me about this movie is that uh, it's got a whole bite me daddy that, thing. I don't know that I don't know that I buy that I I don't know. There are some little sprinkly breadcrumbs, right, of where like, you know, obviously her dad is never around whenever the wolf comes and everything, but it's just like I don't know. While it works from a narrative standpoint, like literally the pieces fit together, it's weird. I almost buy the grandmother as the werewolf. The dad is the most least interesting choice. Yeah. I I agree. Uh, And that's the thing that's weird, right? Like it seems like on paper there could be something weird. And we've we've talked about this again with Swim Fan, right? There's like a weirder, grosser, but also sexier choice, like just something nasty that really kind of freaks people out. And there's, yeah, those breadcrumbs are also there, I think. And it does, who knows, again, what the shooting script has more of or less of, but it definitely feels like a a choice that's too weird for a studio, right? That would have been required to like make this very kind of interesting theme actually feel like it's in the rest of the movie. Right. Well, and coming back to our our Dracula reference in the movie, which is the death of Lucy early on that sort of instigates the story, Mm, much like Bram Stoker's Dracula, a Lucy character. But this particular Lucy is the turns out to be the illegitimate daughter of the well of the mother, I guess, Uh, not not actually real blood daughter of I'm trying to just figure out how to talk about these relationships of the of the father. Yeah, his no. he finds out his 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 daughter is not biologically his. Right, and so mom has you know had an affair, and there is this sort of star-crossed lovers thing between the Henry Peter thing, and you know there's almost a weird way in which you're like, are you going to follow in those footsteps? And the way in which uh, family patterns are being played out in weird ways, and that guilt, and uh, you know uh, blood will out, and sort of old gothic trope. And those things that are at work in the story as well, and that the wolf itself is, is, it seems to me at times, even though it turns out again to be Valerie's father, it does turn out to me to be this sort of, I'm not going to say avenging angel, because I don't want to sort of give a morality to this universe that I don't think it gets, but but the way in which secrets fester. And that if you leave those secrets off in the woods, they come back and they wreak havoc and destruction in the city or the community in the village. And there, there's a there's a interesting way in which, um, you know, the 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 sexuality of this stuff uh, of of this film is kind of all framed within the realm of the taboo, right? And uh, that if you, and if you break taboo long enough, then um, you're going to get bit. I don't know. That, that does, there seems to be some kind of moralizing that goes on with that as well. Well, I think, again, in terms of like the, the gender and sexual politics of this film, right? Like this film is definitely taking uh, some big swings to, uh, about gender, like right mm-hmm. up top with all the good girl stuff, but then also like uh, the, the, the men folk getting immediately ready to do a let's get drunk and do a kill. Like there's some big swings right up top to let you know, like this is thematically what's on the table. And I, I love that about this film. But you're right that there is kind of like then it gets like looser and goosier and it's not clear because, again, we uh, more spoilers uh, ripping them off. Uh, Daddy bites hot boyfriend. Now, hot boyfriend's a werewolf and he has to go off and learn how to control being a hot werewolf so they can be together. Uh, and it is this weird, I you know, uh, masculine violence always perpetuating more violence, right? Like, so much of this, uh, we get, you know, oh, he's he killed uh, the guy that uh, fathered his uh, first daughter that he raised, and then also, like, tries to attack that guy's son. Like, it's all about uh, who killed who, as, as you said, these secrets boiling up, uh, both through, like, uh, you know, secrets about uh, sexual, uh, sexual past secrets, but also, uh, you know, violence inflicted on others. Like, again, it's it's all mixed up in this 
this soup of interesting themes, but nothing kind of coalesces together. But it's all stuff, fun stuff to have on the board. Well, and again, the Father Solomon story, because it's all you know predicated on a lie. He lies to his daughters that... Oh, um, yeah, of course. You know, and, and, and so it, it, this idea that these secrets are what kill us, right? Um, that we're only as sick as our secrets, it seems to be the suggestion throughout. And I, I, mean, I find that to be interesting, but also there's a weird kind of moralizing component to it as well. I'm like, I don't know about that, but... Well, it is interesting, though, right, because the kind of the specter of moralizing uh, Gary, Gary Oldman's character it, is killed mm-hmm. by another secret, right? And so it's, it is almost as though, yeah, the secrets about moralizing will just kind of further, like, degrade things um, or, or, you know, or liberate, as, as the viewpoint may be or as, like, the circumstances may dictate. Right. Okay. I think that there definitely is a lot about uh, there's there's there seems to be a lot harkening back to sort of like uh, both the toxic masculinity and like rugged, rugged individualism right of the time is that you know it's very like manly men doing manly men things we have a problem we're gonna go hit it until it's dead right and there's like a lot of uh, there, there's even some like some shaming of uh, one of the characters because it's just like you didn't go with us to try to kill the wolf and. Well, and yeah, and Henry. What kind of a man are you? Exactly, and Henry's all like, "Oh man, it killed my dad, and all I could do was hide. I suck so bad." Yeah, yeah internalizing that kind of uh, uh, fear and hatred and self-loathing of himself, but for sure, for sure, I do wonder sometimes if the film isn't lampooning that though a little bit. You know, we're gonna go let the women weep as they weep, and we're gonna go to the tavern. Like, oh, it definitely is like, lampooning, like, it, yeah, for like, sure. It's like you guys are stupid. Like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. like just to make sure that we're being clear here that. Um, there definitely is some big dumb, you know, I'll hit it with a rock till it dies kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's also um, this idea that that's ridiculous and uh, not not an appropriate way to behave. I think that's yet another reason that the fact that, like, the big twist or whatever is that her dad turns out to be the werewolf bothers me a little bit. Because I think that the feminist choice, right, I think that the more interesting choice is to imply and sort of telegraph again and again and again that oh maybe it's her dad it's probably her dad like he's never around whenever the wolf is there and like he's got some sort of alcoholism problems and like focusing more on that and then surprise the twist is is that it actually is the grandmother right and that's an interesting little twist on the wolf wearing the grandmother's skin and clothes Mm -hmm. totally yeah no absolutely in the fairy tale and that is his mom i it is his mom. Yeah. It, is it is his mom. It's his mom. Which, the, the, the familial ties in this movie get kind of... They get woogity, yeah. because they don't really do anything with him. Like, that feels right. like, again, he does end up murdering her. She seems like the likely candidate for werewolf. Grandmother somehow missed that both her husband and her son were werewolves. Yeah. Which is... And she seems sharper than that. She yeah. does seem sharper Absolutely. than that. Absolutely. She is depicted as quite sharp throughout the film. So, yeah, it does kind of, like, make you... Wait, what? Again, choices get made that don't. Husband's gone away on business again. <laughs> I do again, but yeah, like the he's the, never here at night. I, the drinking, I kind of forgotten about that aspect uh, of uh, the Amanda Seyfried's character's father. But yeah, that both like oh, okay, well now we've got something kind of interesting on the table thematically uh, with both like the substance stuff and the werewolf stuff. But that could have also well, just also, been a good red herring. It also seems like. The fact that he's a drunk should hint at, you know, some sort of, like, self-loathing, kind of trying to quiet the monster, trying to forget yeah. about the monster that I am. And then it turns out that really that's not the case at all. Yeah, he like, loves he's actually, it. He's super jazzed about being a wolf, and he loves it so much that he wants to take his daughter with him, and I don't know that I buy it. Yeah, exactly. The psychology of, like, that character's decisions, the, the, the drinking and the come run away with me don't go hand in hand together. It doesn't really check out yeah. i wonder that the alcoholism wasn't a front though i don't know if he ever was drunk like we later on find out he's kind of got superhuman strength and powers even when he's in human that's form, a good point that if he was he was acting to be a total screw-up because then he's the last person to be suspected uh, I, I, the I, bruce wayne special yeah, yeah. I, I mean I, I sort of picked up a little bit like you're not really you know like I, when he when he gets picked up by the baddies when he when they're doing the big escape thing trying to break valerie out of the wolf mask thing mm-hmm. like afterward i go he did that on purpose I don't know. He woke up in a pool of his own vomit, so which is a weird. That's what I yeah. was gonna say. Bingo. Arthur. I missed yeah. the vomit pool. It's I at think. the party. It's at the party. Yeah, De- he's literally oh, passed yeah. out in the snow, right. and that's right before the wolf attacks the party and uh, gets the guy that's the big naysayer, who's like, 
shut up, holy man, we killed the wolf, and I've got it on a spike in my hand. And that's why you don't talk Obviously back to the church. Obviously, he has to die. <laughs> I was going to say, that's why you don't pregame before a party. You're not a child. <laughs> you go to the party sober. You'll get there. Don't worry about it. Um, I am. I do love Michael Hogan, beloved Canadian character actor from uh, Battlestar Galactica, getting being the guy that's like, let's hit it with sticks hard, being the first one to just get mauled to death. Mm-hmm. It's a fun choice. It is a fun choice. Speaking, well, yeah, of, he's the denier. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's the denial, but also like the uh, the assumption of the to kind of get us back on that that one track that we were on a second ago. The the lampooning of the the masculine need to like hit the problem until it goes away. Um, yeah, it, uh, it it is uh, believed to be, of course it worked out. Why wouldn't it have worked out until you can't deny it any longer? I love it. It's a great right. choice. Are there any other big thematic things that we want to engage with with uh, Red Riding Hood? Um, no? Good? Yes? All right. Kirsten, uh, anything on the, on the chart for you that uh, hasn't been crossed off that you feel like we've got to talk about? Uh, all I can really think of is, uh, didn't these people watch Game of Thrones enough to know not to invite the church to solve your problems? <laughs> Uh, man. Fair enough. I do love Gary Oldman yelling. He's, he's that's very, a great he's... velvet. That's it. That velvet gown that he's in in the first yeah. shot, like it's fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his wow. his luxury cassock, very yeah. good we stuff. For luxury cassock, for yeah. Sure. That's the Cadillac of cassocks. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then. Well, let's render a verdict then. Shelf or trash with uh, this film? And I'm gonna go to you first, Kirsten, since you are the guest and uh, you are you know uh, related to this film in a very very specific way with the other podcast so what do you say show for trash with red riding hood i have to i gotta trash it i mean there's again there's some aspects of it that i really enjoy and um i don't know there's other films that do some of the stuff that this film does well better um and creates sort of a uh an over an overwhelmingly more I guess, complete film. Um, although I will say that my favorite part of this film uh, was when it turns out that they were uh, living in modern day America the entire time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very good. Very um, good. So, all right. Thank you for that. Um, what do you say, Arthur? Shelf or trash? I am also going to put it in the trash, but lightly. Uh, it was a surprise. It surprised me. I was more interested and thought it was better than I anticipated. So I thought it was going to be terrible, uh, but I, I found it watchable. I'd watch it again. Uh, so, yeah but I will lightly trash it. Very good. What do you say, Dalton? Yeah, uh, a very light and delicate trashing. Uh, I think it's good. But, you know, check up uh, with 13 and Dogtown. Like, those are good movies. Um, if, you, if you haven't seen those earlier films from Catherine Hardwick, uh, I doubt that this is exactly the film she wanted to make. Uh, but, I, I, you know, don't turn it off if somebody puts it in, your, in front of you. It's good. Uh, we didn't even get into the, the friggin' weird puppy play mask that they put Amanda Seyfried in when they think she's the oh, werewolf. Yeah! Uh, the film it thirsty mm-hmm. uh it's an interesting film uh I, I think if we got something closer to what probably uh hard the shooting script was and what hardwick wanted to make uh we'd be a little bit more over the moon uh it's just yeah those um, oh, go ahead sorry amanda 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 seafried has a literal role in the hay i'm saying she goes it's... kirsten i oh the the scene where her friend asks where she's been and she's like you know that's soft hay great stuff oh my god <laughs> It's great stuff in this movie. It's very watchable. It's just not essential. You just, the themes don't coalesce as quite as interestingly as they could have. All right, guys. I am going to say shelf because it is so stinking watchable. Would I use this for a class? Probably not. I mean, is it my, my favorite movie? No. But it is one of those kinds of movies that you could put on at any given time, and you can just watch, the, just watch it. That's and, a good point. And uh, it, watching's good. It's just good to have on hands. Like, hey, we want to do something. We want to do something fun. Let's put on Red Riding Hood. This will be a good time. And, uh, yeah, uh, so I am saying Shelf, because I like this movie a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. It's a good Halloween party movie when you don't yes. really want to pay attention totally. to anything and just have it on in the background. Well, there you have it. Uh, tell us what you think. Uh, at good underscore trash on Twitter, uh, good trash genrecast at gmail.com for that long-form feedback. Check out Twilight right in this same feed. Check out uh, Dan Wade's podcast, The Wheel of Randy. Not in the same feed. You do got to go subscribe to that one, but... Yeah, check out Dan Wade talking to different guests each week about the music of Randy Newman. Uh, check out The Praise Down with Heath and Alex. Uh, put those things in your ears. Uh, they're all uh, friends and family. Uh, j- enjoy. Uh, did I forget? Oh, go to patreon.com forward slash GTM if you want to help You know, pay our web hosting fees and or listen to Dustin and I play Monster of the Week uh, with Arthur uh, guiding us as our, our ever-faithful dungeon master and crafter of tales. 
that's yeah. All right, plugs are done. All right, um, we gonna do another movie, Arthur. Oh, I suppose we can. All right, yeah, might as well. Uh, next week, oh, we're gonna be taking a look at that beloved British thief and master of disguise, who's birthed out of a series of novels, has spawned probably roughly a dozen or more movies. Oh, Austin a Powers. TV series. That's right. We're talking Simon Templar, the Saint. What? The Saint. Wait, yes. really? This is all. I thought you were doing like an elaborate bit. No, no. The saint. I know the Saint. I just didn't know it was based on something. Well, it's a thing. Boy, howdy! Do I have research to do? The first three seasons of The Saint, starring Roger Moore, are on Amazon Prime. If you'd like to watch them, that was the algorithm, not Arthur. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> uh, it is ever growing and ever stronger. All right. Well, there you go, dear listener. Thanks again to Kirsten Thurgelson for uh, tuning in and helping us out. We appreciate you so much. Uh, You keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.